Oh well, that's all ancient history now. Hello and welcome to That's All Ancient History Now, the podcast that will, in years to come, be the most culturally important event since Archimedes cried Eureka. I am Pascal Kempson, one of your almighty hosts, and with me is a man who frequents a bathhouse at least once a day, much to the dismay of the local leisure centre, Jacob Pake. Thank you very much, Pascal. Very complimentary there. You're welcome. You're welcome. How's your week? Yeah, it hasn't been too bad. Um, of course, I saw you last week. We had a nice little hangout, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We went to the old uh, pub quiz, saw uh, Joe Dini. Who had something to say about the old pod, didn't he? He did. He had a, um, a correction um, in my Did You Know for the uh, Socrates episode. Oh no, it was the episode following the Socrates episode. Gods and Goddesses, wasn't it? Gods and Goddesses, yes. I said that there was as much proof for the existence of Socrates as there is Jesus, or Jesus as there is Socrates. Mm. Um, and he, he disagreed, and he, he and did have he an have argument. Say? Oh, I don't uh, remember. Something about... <laughs> I'm not really sure. Basically, but we... there was no first-hand primary sources for Jesus, but there was for Socrates. Yeah. But I, I encourage him to, to leave us a voice message so perhaps we could play it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he so could he, feature. Yes, exactly. Put across his own argument because we weren't listening. <laughs> yeah, we we don't listen to any criticisms. No. Well, what's the point? We know that we're doing a fantastic job. Exactly. Don't cite us. Who who needs criticism? Yeah. Look, don't put me anywhere near your essays. <laughs> Definitely not. But like, we know what we're talking about. And that's just how it is. How was your week? Um, fine. I've done more baking, but, um... That's good. Paul Hollywood has left the head, because I've, um... It was the final, and I've sort of stopped watching. Uh. Um, yeah, but I made some gluten-free, gluten-free cupcakes. They were quite nice. But without the commentary. Mm-hmm, without the commentary. They were flourless, you know. So there was mm. a whole load of chocolate, a lot of butter, and, to my surprise, eight eggs. <laughs> now, look, what... Omelettes. When I have scrambled eggs, I was speaking to someone recently about this. When I have scrambled eggs, I go three, maybe four. People are telling me the optimum scrambled egg is two. In fact, that oh. was Joe Dini, actually. For one person? For one person, two scrambled eggs. What do you think? I go for three or four. Three or four. Always. It's got to be, otherwise, yeah. what's the point? It's just a little bit of egg. Yeah. If you're having loads of other egg. stuff with it, but if, if all you're having is scrambled egg, maybe on toast, I'd, I'd definitely go three or four. Three, four, absolutely. I'm not going to skip ahead this week. Do you want to go straight into some did you knows? Of course I do. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? Yeah, of course you're first. Um, so it's um, both of mine are kind of themed. They, they were themed originally, but I had to change it a minute ago, because uh, mm. I saw in Pascal's notes that, that one's incorporated in there. Look, did you know it can happen any time? <laughs> um, my first one is, did you know that the word lesbian has ancient Greek origins? Really? Yeah. Did you know that? Please, tell me more. No, I did not. Ah, so, so there was a poet called Sappho, uh, a female poet. And she lived on the island of Lesbos, oh. which is a Greek island um, around kind of like the 5th century, maybe, you know, 600 BC mm-hmm. times. Um, and she wrote quite affectionately about women, other women. At the time, she wasn't really seen as a lesbian. 
or whatever. They didn't really have a word for that kind of thing. Um, but now that's where we get the word because she was from Lesbos, lesbian. It's just how it happens. And uh, but and but she wasn't a lesbian. Well, we, we don't know for certain, but she definitely wrote about kind of her desires for women. Okay. Um, and not much of her poetry survives. There's only one complete poem called "The Ode to Aphrodite." Mm. Um, but but we know from characterizations of her that she was a big lesbian. Nice, <laughs> good to know. And, Thank and you. That, I did that's not the know term that. for anything from Lesbos before it became lesbian. It was in like the 19th century. Oh, so, so wine still... from there was lesbian wine. Wow, leather was lesbian oh. leather. Nice. There's lots yeah. of cows on the Isle of Lesbos. I, I have no. I don't have a clue. Did Just you lesbians. know the word dinosaur? comes from the ancient Greek and means terrible lizard. Wow. Love that. Yeah. But a lizard that big would be a terrible lizard. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, look at that terrible lizard. <laughs> <laughs> That's where um, T-Rex comes from as well. Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's like the king. The king. King lizard. King tyrant? I don't know. Oh, tyrant and king. Okay. Your turn. Um, uh, did you know that the the ancient Greeks didn't have any kind of concepts of sexuality or sexual preference like we do today, like lesbians? What have you and been gays? thinking about this week? That is a theme. <laughs> <laughs> um, my my last two were themed as well, but this is just a different theme. Oh, um, this is good work. Yeah. So and but a a lot of that kind of sexual goings on was more mm. described as, rather than gender roles, kind of dominant and submissive roles. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, the kind of man was dominant and the woman was sub- submissive. But then you also had the man and the young boys yeah. that they were all into. Um, they were all into young boys, weren't they? We haven't. I feel like we haven't mentioned that enough, to be honest. <laughs> well, there's, it's quite an interesting thing about it because, you know, they couldn't just, you know, go off and have sex with a young boy it had to be part of this process where they also taught the boy and mentored the boy oh and and it was perfectly acceptable for a boy to they were groomed to, to deny the man unless they were groomed yeah oh interesting yeah that happened in rome as well right yeah more um, of that next season <laughs> it was also in the in the military a lot in the greek military um oh. i i got a quote from uh, plutarch um, that? Plutarch was a like a historian. He wrote biographies. He was Greek, oh. but then he became Roman because he kind of was about that time when the Ro- Roman legend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but that is pretty cool. Yeah, but what he said about uh, kind of same sex uh, interactions in the military was for men of the same tribe, little value one another when dangers press, but a band cemented by friendship. Grounded upon love is never to be broken. And you see themes of it in the Iliad as well, with uh, Achilles mm. and his cousin, uh, Patroclus. Nice. Is that where petrol came from? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Did you know ancient Greeks wouldn't eat beans because they thought that they contained the souls of the dead? What kind of beans? Uh, I guess... Baked beans? Hines? <laughs> no, I, I guess any kinds of beans. What about lentils? <laughs> Don't get me started. 
Do not get me started. Um, but maybe that's where the song, you know, Beans, Beans, Make You Fart comes from. And um, you're actually farting out the souls of the dead. Wow, the gaseous souls. Gaseous souls. Wow, exactly. that's crazy. So they wouldn't touch them? Wouldn't, well, I don't know. They might touch them. They wouldn't eat them. They counted them. You, you mentioned they, in yeah. the previous episode. I don't know the ins and outs of it. Yeah. Do not cite me in your essay. <laughs> well, none of this is black and white. A lot of this is just based on writings and readings. Yeah, did you hear that, Joe Dini? How'd you like that? Right. What's this episode about? The final um, episode of the season. The final episode, episode six. Um, so it's kind of just a wrap up. Uh, we're not going to go over, summarize anything, but we're going to talk about how the ancient Greek world has affected our world today. Um, Lovely. So you've got a couple of kind of, well, a couple of free of cultural things, you know, mm-hmm. ingrained in society. And then I've got a couple of little specific examples of kind of controversies that are going on now but began in ancient greek times Mm. i like it when you go first can you go first i can go first um fantastic you are the teacher i'm a mere disciple i'm the plato to your socrates i'm the aristotle to your plato you are the alexander the great to my aristotle and that takes me nicely in that's what You're I want so to talk about first. Segues, man. Segues. Um, so Macedonia. Um, I wasn't really aware of the country of Macedonia. Like we've, I don't, we've kind of briefly touched upon Macedonia when we've spoken about Philip II and uh, Alexander the Great coming down and kind of conquering Athens and mainland Greece, um, mm. which happens starts happening about a hundred years after the Golden Age of Athens. During the Golden Age of Athens, the kingdom of Macedonia is in this area, which is northern Greece today, near the city mm-hmm. of Thessaloniki. And about a stone's throw from Thessaloniki is the city of Pelas. The site, the archaeological site today is in modern Greece, northern modern Greece. <clears throat> and that's where Alexander the Great and his father, Philip II, come from. So, so they would start in their kingdom up there and they would work their way down and take over basically every Greek city-state, Philip II mm-hmm. would, apart from Sparta. But then his son Alexander takes over. I, I think he gets Sparta in the end, and he also spreads all the way throughout the Middle East into Egypt, and, and that's where he founds the, the city of Alexandria, mm-hmm. which is where the great uh, the library of Alexandria lives, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. Wow. Um, so a that... pretty big guy for 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 you know for Macedonia. You don't hear much about Macedonians today. No, um, Macedonia was kind of unspoken about um, mm. for a long time in in kind of modernish history. You know, you hear about the ancient Greek world and um, this period after it's been Macedonianized, if that's the right word, is called Hellenistic Greece. Mm. Um, and during that time, Alexandria is one of the key points, and it's the second biggest city in the world, following Rome. Anyway, sorry, what's I that got to do with modern day society? What's what's the cultural impact there? So there, there's a country Please, called detail. it's called North Macedonia now, but mm. I went there a few years ago, and it was called the Republic of Macedonia. That's what they called themselves. And after I was there, I went down to Greece, to Athens, and I told some people 
that I'd just been in Macedonia. And they were like, what? Like, it's Firearm. You, you weren't <laughs> in Macedonia, you were in Firearm. Oh no, sort and... of like Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, you, you cannot say it. You cannot um, say it. So Firearm stand. it's an abbreviation, uh, former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia. Because Macedonia, North, well, it's called North Macedonia now, this country, just north of Greece. It was part of the Yugoslavian Republic. It was when that was broken up, they became, and they called themselves the Republic of Macedonia. Mm-hmm. And instantly, you know, the Greeks and a few other European countries were, were pissed off because it's, it's not Macedonia. Most of the kingdom of Macedonia was in Northern Greece, Northern Greece today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the birthplace of Alexander the Great, the birthplace of Philip II was in Northern Greece today. Oh, um, really? So they yeah. sort of like claimed that land, or someone's given them it. Yeah, and in so these disputes went on for ages, um, and there was some kind of uh, a UN when the UN decided to let Macedonia in, they they didn't have a name for the country, so they said until the the, the, the dispute is solved or resolved, we will call you the former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia, um, and that was in like nineteen ninety one nineteen ninety three. Mm. And it was only resolved February this year. Really? Yeah, February this year. They only got their name this year. Yeah, their official name. Um, and you know, it's just a lot of back and forth between them and the, the Greeks. Um, that seems a bit unfair. Yeah, but then what? So the the Greek argument for it was basically, well, you're not Macedonia. Macedonia is actually a region. It's an administrative and geographical region of Greece, the country mm. today. Northern Greece, where Thessaloniki is, um, and above and beyond. Um, and calling yourself Macedonia, we don't think you should be allowed in NATO. We don't think you should be allowed in the EU, because it's like saying, it's like giving your opinion that you are Macedonia, and maybe in the future you want to take over Northern Greece as well, You're when Macedonia, Macedonia really yeah. is. Yeah. When I went there in um, 2016, there was in Skopje, which is the capital, there's these massive, biggest statues I've ever seen. One of Alexander the Great on a horse, in right in the capital, the city centre. Oh yeah, I've seen pictures of this actually. Yeah, and another it's one... It's my dream to go it, there. It's all lit up. And, well, they might get rid of it. Um, and another one of Philip II, equally massive. But th- these I guys really weren't even it. from there. Yeah, um, they were from northern Greece. Yeah, and they, they made all these kind of classical Greek-style monuments all around the city um in the end they made 136 of them and it cost 700 million dollars jesus yeah but now um, are they trying to like give themselves a history basically just yeah nicking it exactly. but it is macedonia not greece technically it's macedon so i mean in at times. one point in history it was mm-hmm. kind of like the romans referred to it as kind of what is North Macedonia, the country today, the Romans referred to it as kind of the secondary Macedonia and <laughs> the region in Greece as the primary Macedonia. Wow. Um, but it's crazy. Yeah, it was resolved this year. They had a referendum. Um, the oh, president, said, president said, I want to just get this over and done with. We're going to call it North Macedonia. They had a referendum. It was an outstanding kind of in favour, like 90% in favour or something. But the, mm. the turnout was too small for the referendum to count, but they counted it anyway. Oh. 
Because <laughs> they and, and they also said that they're going to get rid of the statues. Maybe. Oh no. But well, it may, are they buckling under the UN's? Finger? Well, they they want to join the EU and they want to join NATO. Mm. I think I think they're in the UN and they're now called North Macedonia in the UN. But. I feel kind of bad for them. Yeah, it's it's sad because they they're so, like all the Yugoslavian republics. They're you know there's so many different the demographics there are just crazy and it's mm, so many yeah, different no, you know, creeds of people and it it's good to foster an identity mm. but unfortunately well, like it was the, the wrong one condition oh. yeah because they've got statues well, to bad. these people that aren't even from there but they are they are they're macedons <laughs> but <laughs> but they're not really because they're from greece they're from modern day greece modern day greece yeah, and, and the the original people that um, kind of became the kingdom of Macedonia, they were descendants of the more southern Greek states as well. Mm. All right, well, Greece wins as always. Yeah, well, it's, really. it's it's a victory for Macedonia as well because now they can be a part Nothing of things. Yeah. yeah, one in, one out. Let me tell you about the theatre and drama. Basically, the Greeks started it. Yeah, um, and we touched on really... that, didn't we? Well, yeah, we have touched on it. Um, but Greek drama originally started out as a ritual to honour the god of wine, your favourite, Dionysus. Oh, yes. Um, by the cult of Dionysus. Um, did you talk about this? In the ritual, drunk men dressed up in goat skin would sing and have dialogue in chorus to welcome the leader, the person acting as Dionysus, uh, and just have a merry old time. In these, um, in these festivals, the men dressed as satyrs, companions of Dionysus, who are half man and half goat. Yeah. Which is nice, so I really like goats. Um, uh, while the woman dressed up as maenads. Do you know what they are? A maenad? Yeah. What's that, like a water kind of forest fairy? Yeah, they're the immortal followers of Dionysus. Yeah. Forest fairy. <laughs> as the uh, participants became drunk and filled with ecstasy... I don't think the drug. I think just joy. Um, they well, they were on something. They transformed. Yeah, it was water and wine, my G. Uh, they transformed into a different identity from before. Thus, they were dramatizing themselves, becoming mm. these other people. Yeah. Sort of like acting. Sort of like acting. The first actor was named Thespis. Did you know? Did you know? It is from his name that the word thespian originated. Isn't that a fascinating bit of news? That's great. Yeah, that was one of my did you knows before I read your notes. Um, Thespis was born in Attica in 534 BC, before Christ, before Common Era. Yes. He began performing speeches from epic poems and stories of the day, speaking from the character's point of view. His shows were also interactive, as he often spoke with the audience. So these yeah. were sort of like one man plays, yeah. Basically, so before like him, one man show. So this is kind of the evolution of how we get to when we did Medea, mm. when you've got two actors or or three actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but originally they they would do it in the same place, same kind of thing, have these festivals. But originally there was no actors; mm. it was just a chorus who sung. Yeah, um, since no theatre really existed at the time, he would travel. From from place to place with a hand cart, so he just keep his stuff on his back or on wheels <laughs> in a cart, something like that. In a cart, yeah. 
the first yeah, touring the first touring man yeah. yeah one man show the only guy doing <laughs> it and he's just him and he used masks makeup and costumes to make his monologues more realistic because otherwise it would have been difficult to believe <laughs> so um you know as time went on he started introducing yeah like you say two actors three actors the chorus became less and less important mm. and then greek plays generally fell into one of two categories comedy or tragedy um medea that we read in episode two go back and listen very good episode um that's a tragedy but one might say it's quite funny um other than in um satirical plays these categories would never mix so it's one or the other um, the modern symbol of drama, a smiling comedic mask, and a weeping tragic mask stems from these categories. Oh. So it's like a bit of both. Yeah. That's the uh, emoji for drama as well. Yeah. On our masks. website? Yeah, it's it's on there. It's featured. Yeah, check it out. That's all ancient.com. <laughs> <laughs> the Greeks have also provided uh, the fundamentals of theatre. Um, we still use stages, costumes, and makeup in acting today. And we still have comedy, tragedy, and satire, although often combined. Um, many theatres are modelled after Greek amphitheatres in order to achieve their nearly flawless acoustics, just like this yes. podcast. Just like this podcast. Thank that you, Jakey, really for the mics. For Thanks, Jakey, for the mics. Um, so the um, amphitheatres, I'm, I'm going off script now. <laughs> the amphitheatres... Um, would usually hold about 1,500 people. Mm. Um, and they'd be they'd be all over the place, in all different towns, cities. Um, and they'd normally be painted really nice colours. Yeah. Um, but obviously they would have faded over time. Yeah, like a lot of um, kind of Greek architecture, we expect it to be this kind of pristine white columns and stuff. Mm. And white buildings, but it was all painted. Everything was painted. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just faded. So it was, everything was really colourful. Like the Acropolis would have been... Um, the Parthenon on the Acropolis would have been red and blue and green. Really? Yeah. That's hard to imagine. They never thought, let's just make everything white. They they never mm, thought that. That's so hard to imagine. It is. Because it, it looks, um, it looks, it's such a part of their identity now. Mm-hmm. There's these, you know, white buildings, white statues. Yeah. And they, they would never would have thought that at the time, would they? No. Uh, I'm just going to tag on the end of that a little bit of etymology. Um, I love etymology so let me give you some words that come from from ancient Greek Uh, cynicism comes from cynics a school of ancient Greek philosophers but the name probably derives from the public gymnasium called the white dog or swift dog according to others uh, where one of Socrates' pupils taught Ah, which we we touched on before as well we did, the gyms I've learnt so much Marathon. A marathon uh, is a long-distance foot race, as you know, and there are thousands of marathons taking place every year around the world. Officially, a marathon is 42.1 kilometres or 26.1 miles long, and that is a nod to the actual distance between the cities of Marathon and Athens. And why is that? And why is that? Yeah. <laughs> because, because legend has it that in 490 before Common Era... <laughs> Philippides ran all the way from Athens from a battlefield in Marathon to announce to the world that the Persians had been defeated at the Battle of Marathon. Exactly, yes. So he ran a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. N- non-stop. He probably had the highest speed as well. 
of all time. No, and definitely not quicker than that guy. Two hours. Oh yeah, yeah. Last Dan. Last Dan. Um, and also marmalade, which um, <laughs> comes from the Greek words "meli," uh, meaning honey, and "milo," meaning apple or sweet fruit. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Apple honey. Sweet yeah, fruit sort of. honey. Yeah. Oh, I love marmalade too. Yeah. How do you feel about marmalade? It's good on toast. Yeah, love it. Tell me about your next one, your next bit of key info. Um, Cultural Impact Day. I want to talk about the (laughs) controversial, uh, the Elgin Marbles. I think it's Elgin and not Elgin. Um, Basically, there was this guy, the Lord of Elgin, the Earl of Elgin, sorry, um, called Thomas Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 1800, 1801, uh, between then and about 1812, this guy took from the Acropolis, he was a British guy, Earl, from mm. the Acropolis in Thomas Athens. Thomas Bruce, he's got to be English. <laughs> from the Acropolis in Athens, he took part of the Parthenon, about half of what remained at that time. Uh, sculptures, uh, bits of the columns, bits, bits of the building, bits of the the, the frescas on the side, the um, freezers, the freezers, the frescas, what have you. Um, and what did he do? Put it in his suitcase? No, he put it in a boat. Um, oh, that makes more sense. Parts at a time over this ten-year period, um, and took them back to to London to his residence there, uh, or probably a warehouse. God knows why he kept them. Um, he was looting, not yeah, in looting. Well, he well, was he, looting. He was looting. Um, well, it's, it's that you know that's the big question. What was he doing? We'll come um, to that. We'll come to that. Anyway, in Athens at that time, or Greece, was ruled by the Ottoman Empire, uh, and Egan uh, Elgin claimed to have uh, proper documentation, proper written permission from uh, a sultan or whatever that he can take the, half these marbles. Mm. Um, we we don't have that proof. We we have some kind of like in the British Museum, which is where these uh, marbles are now stored. We we have a letter which is kind of a, a translation from an Italian translation of the original document saying that he could have them, and that's all we have. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit dubious. Um, mm. anyway, he he brought them back to England. Um. Uh, he spent about 70 grand on the trip um, in that day's money. God knows how much that costs now. Reasonable amount, yeah. Um, and then he went through a, a divorce. Who knows why? Maybe his wife uh, felt that that what he did was morally wrong. Or perhaps she didn't. Maybe. And maybe she thought he was spending too much time with these statues. <laughs> not enough time with her at home. Exactly. Um, that would so be my major complaint point of the story is he had to sell them and napoleon was one of the bidders and so was the british government and the british government put a lower bid in than napoleon and many others who actually put a higher bid in but he ended up selling them to the british government Mm. um who then put them in the british museum uh can i read a poem of course i love when we do drama yeah I, i thought so so this is from uh let me just get it it's from lord byron um, who also kind of sailed around the Mediterranean during this time. He had his own ship, and I think he was involved in some kind of conflict over there as well. Um, but he also, you know, went around the uh, 
a GMC, and you know he was fascinated by the classical uh, Greece as well. Mm. Can we do a line each? Oh, do you have it? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll go first. Okay. Dull is the eye that will not weep to see. Thy walls defaced, thy mouldering shrines removed. By British hands, which it had best behoved. To guard those relics, never to be restored. Cursed be the hour, when from their isle they roved. And once again thy hapless bosom gored. And snatched thy shrinking gods to northern climes abhorred. Fantastic, and, and that's directly about the um, the marbles. So is he saying, Brucey, why do you take those marbles? They're just yeah. gonna sit in the British Museum, never yeah. to be restored. Well, basically, they're not ours. You're kind of, you're. It's like pissing on on a shrine. Mm. Uh, John Keats also wrote a poem um, after he saw the marbles in the British Museum. Um, oh yeah, can't remember what it was called. It was called. Upon seeing the Elgin marbles at the British Museum, <laughs> something quite literal <laughs> like that. Classic Keats. But anyway, since uh, eighteen thirty-two, when the Ottoman Empire dissolved and uh, uh, well, Greece became its own country again, they've been urging to have them back. And uh, uh, the UNESCO, 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 is, yeah, the United Nat- Nations, something education and scientific. Cultural organization. Organization. Um, they offered to mediate between Greece and the United Kingdom for the return of these marbles. Hmm. Um, but the British Museum basically said, "No, we decline that there are marbles, not the United Kingdom's." Um, that you know, if your organization is supposed to deal with two countries, Greece and United Kingdom, not Greece and the British Museum. Wow. Well. Um. That's a bit bitchy. Yeah. Uh, c- can I read you what the <laughs> what the uh, trustees of the British Museum said about it? Of course. I'd love to hear from the trustees of the British Museum. So they, they said, The Acropolis Museum allows the Parthenon sculptures that are in Athens to be appreciated against the backdrop. So, sorry, there's an Acropolis Museum uh, at the Acropolis in Athens, which has mm-hmm. the remaining marbles. So that okay. museum allows the Parthenon sculptures there in Athens to be appreciated against the backdrop of ancient Greek and Athenian history. This display mm. does not alter the trustees' view that the sculptures are part of everyone's shared heritage and transcend cultural boundaries. Oh. The trustees remain convinced that the current division between the marbles here and there allows different and complementary stories to be told about the surviving sculptures highlighting their significance for world culture and affirming the universal legacy of ancient Greece. Hmm. So that's, that's their argument for keeping them here, because basically people can appreciate them here just as well as they could there, and they can go to both places and see the <laughs> El- Elgin's leftovers. <laughs> or the it just sound, that sounds treasures. a bit to me like an excuse to find us keepers. Well, that, that's it, isn't it, really? Um, you know, and it's, it's not the only thing that's in the British Museum that perhaps should be returned to its country. But didn't re- they return those jewels to India or something? The Queen? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think they ever, we ever did. The, the big diamond? Yeah. No, no, no. I don't, I don't Was think that not have. returned? No. I think, 
was it David Cameron? He said, they're not having it back. Yeah, they're not having it. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Oh, classic. Well, m- maybe classic it was. Dave with his trotters up. <laughs> maybe it was since then. I think it might have gone back. I'm not sure, though. Maybe. But it, but it, the thing is about well, sending one thing back is it, it, sends a, it sets a precedent for kind of every single museum in the world that isn't about the location it's in to be emptied. Well, I don't know if that's true. Isn't it on the permission of, on the permission of 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 whoever owns it? Is what I think. Yeah. Then be. so I mean, the British Museum can argue that you know we were given these by someone who procured procured them uh, legally by the governing people of Greece at that time, mm. the Ottoman Empire. Uh, you know, we don't actually have the proof of that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, so it it definitely could have been an illegal taking. Um, mm. and, and another argument to to keep them here would be to, um, some people might say that they're now part of British culture. They've been here for, you know, two hundred and two hundred years, mm. uh, and now they're part of our culture. So when are we going to start saying that about other people from other places? Mm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'll put that to him. Have some of that. Uh, well, look for me. I think they should be returned. I do too. And I don't like this. I don't like this. The marbles are protected and have been for years by the British Museum, and otherwise they may have faced a worse fate. Yeah. So it's like, oh well, we look after things properly. If it was still over there in Athens, could have been defaced by now by those terrible Greeks. But well, we, well, not necessarily the British. By... <laughs> Not necessarily by the Greeks, but by I don't know, these um, during World War Two or something, for example. Yeah. Okay. Um, but but the, then the thing is, their surviving marbles still survived. Um, so mm. I I I think it's it's a tough one, but it's it's much in the British Museum who have them interest mm. to keep them to keep them. Yeah. Um. If you want it, you can come over here and get them yourselves. <laughs> in the in the Acropolis Museum, they've got kind of empty spaces, empty exhibition spaces for, no. for all the pieces that are in the British Museum. <laughs> but there's other pieces all over the world as well. Um, but they've yeah. got specifically the spaces that are in the British Museum because I I think they do That's expect so to get them back one day. Well, I look forward to it, and we'll bring bring you a breaking news alert at that point. <laughs> Listen, you know what? We've had too much fun. I had something to say about um, architecture. And I guess I'll just say that um, Greek architecture lives on today. Um, neoclassical architecture is extremely popular in America. Um, mm. But it's all over Europe as well. We're talking columns, friezes, all of that kind of stuff. I still don't really know how to say it. Freezers. Freeze. Freezers. Was it, is that basically the kind of um, little art bits they had around the kind of tapered across? The yeah, sides I think at, so. At the top, below the, I because I thought they were frescoes, <laughs> but it, that's it's more a something broad inside, horizontal isn't? band of sculpted or painted decoration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they they've got and these... you say it like this. Freeze, freeze. <laughs> there you go. So we have quite a bit of the freeze from the Acropolis and the from the Parthenon in the British Museum and it's, it's quite amazing it tells like a whole story this band I bet it does I was you know what if I owned that I'd really like to get it back um, 
so you can see this neoclassicalism in the Irish House of Parliament, um, and in the US they love it uh, on all their like buildings and stuff, um, the federal buildings. They've got all these columns. Uh, mm. there, there are four orders. Look, I've written a whole thing about it on the Instagram. Um, <laughs> so if you want to know about the four orders of ancient Greece, um, you can you can have a look on the Instagram. Uh, but we're out of time oh, this Christ. week. So we are. It's flown by. We've had so much great discussion. And that means we're out of time for the entirety of ancient Greece, which is a real shame. For now. For now. For now. But um, genuinely, I've learned so much. And it feels like a real shame to like stop doing it <laughs> stop talking about ancient greece um because now i feel like i know about it i feel like i could maybe talk about it um, yeah it might come up in a pub quiz one day yeah and that's when it'll be useful <laughs> it'll make it all worthwhile won't it yeah i mean look great fun um so that's that's been ancient greece we'll see you after a two-week break and we'll be back on the 21st of november yeah to bring you the first episode of ancient rome so that's 14 days from now isn't it two weeks two weeks 14 days from now yes um in the meantime get in touch on the socials leave us a voice note contact us on the website that's all ancient.com jakey what are the socials uh at that's all ancient correct um, and also, um, let's have a little party. Um, get all your mates around, stick a pod on, and then what I need you to do is go onto the podcast app on your uh, Apple iPhone um, and just scroll down a bit on our page and see where it says ratings and reviews. <laughs> Please give us a five star rating. Um, and you know what? It's a shot every time you do that. So, five stars, have a shot, and that is a good party. <laughs> What do you Brilliant. think? I'm I, I think one. that's a fantastic idea that definitely doesn't stem out of uh, desperation. No, well, what is desperation? Uh, no, it's, it's what, not that. Not that. No, prostitution. Uh, <laughs> I've got. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. We've got to get on the new and noteworthy page. Um, but after all of that, um, I just hope you enjoyed it. It's been really fun this season, and we'll see you in fourteen days from now. Yeah, and can I add one thing? Um, of course. If if anybody has anything they want us to talk about uh, to do with ancient Rome, or I think we're going to do mainly the Roman Empire specifically, mm-hmm. uh, write in. Uh, and you can write in on our website at that'sallancient.com or on the socials. Or email us info at that'sallancient.com. Oh, yes. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Look, you can't get enough of us. Um, with that being said, I've been Pascal. And I've been Jacob. And that's and all ancient, that's history, all ancient now. history now. Fantastic. Bye. Oh well, that's all ancient history now.